Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. And on that note, we cue the music. Biff, 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 all right. Let's settle in. Straight from the attic, it's a buddy Biff. Biff, radio's about to begin. And for the hundredth time, Welcome back to Biff Radio. I'm your host, Ben, a.k.a. Biff, coming to you live from the Center Club Recording Studio and Gaming Hub, a.k.a. My Attic. We made it, guys. <laughs> 100 episodes of this podcast. I am completely blown away. I'm very proud to have made it this far. Um, this interview that you're about to listen to, I am... I'm still not over that it happened. Um, so I just have to you know, say a thank you. And you're going to hear that word a lot when I'm talking to Stephen Page, my favorite artist of all time. Um, he was incredibly kind and it, it just, it, it's amazing. And so Stephen, thank you very, very much. Um, I just also want to thank, I want to thank uh, everyone at the Jabroni U Podcasting Network. Um, I have to thank Wes. Wes is the one who suggested I come on to this amazing network. And uh, all the guys, James, Andy, Drew, Daniel, Bonesaw, they all welcome me with open arms. And I have found friends, like true friends, uh, in this podcasting network. And the support they've given me and the love and the friendship, I thank you guys. The bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Um, thank you to friends of this podcast, Wrestling Cheers, who has given me so much knowledge when it comes to the technical side of podcasting, and also someone who's so consistent, someone I look up to, uh, Marty and Sarah, who are infinitely amazing, uh, Colt Cabana, Art of Wrestling, who I, I wouldn't be into podcasting without. He was the one that got me into podcasting. Um, I just, I'm very grateful. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this, this podcast, one, welcome. I've got a feeling that I'm going to have a, a bit of a spike because of my guest, which is awesome. I am super happy. If you are here because uh, of Stephen Page, feel free to go back because I also did a deep dive into the Bare Naked Ladies uh, I went their discography, and then I'm going to go ahead and go through Steven's solo stuff, starting with the Vanity Project, and that'll be coming out uh, in September. Um, and I also got to thank my family, my wife, uh, my family, my friends, who support me, and uh, I'm just I'm just very grateful. And uh, if you saw the TikTok I put out, kind of talking about this, I am. I really. I'm grateful to my dad because without him giving me a love of music, there wouldn't be a Biff radio. And so wherever you are in the universe, dad, just know that I miss you. I love you. And thank you for this love of music you gave me. And hopefully you, you're listening to this interview and you have a smile on your face. Um, 
if you want to follow this podcast on any of the social medias, you can go to Biff Radio on Twitter, Biff Radio 1 on Instagram, Biff underscore radio on TikTok, and you can follow me on TikTok at uh, Center Club. If you want to find out more about the podcast and where to listen and this amazing network, go to jabroniu.com. That's jabroniu.com. So without further ado, uh, here is my interview with Stephen Page. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. Um, also, come back next week. You can hopefully you come back all the weeks. But uh, also next week, uh, I'll be interviewing Reed. Uh, she's the lead singer of We Are the Union. That's also was in a surreal and amazing interview. I am very, very lucky and fortunate to have these interviews back to back. Um, here's the next hundred. I, 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 I hope I, I know I know I'll be back here uh, with episode 200. But uh, until then, here's episode 100. My conversation with the one and only Stephen Page. I love you all very much. Enjoy the interview. All right. And welcome back to Biff Radio. So episode 100. And I have talked about this next gentleman many times on the podcast. Uh, I've played a lot of his music. So I am very, very excited, very humbled and honored to welcome my favorite artist of all time, Mr. Stephen Page. Stephen, thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, congratulations on episode number 100. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, I... When I started podcasting, I kind of put together a list of like dream people to uh, interview and not to make you blush, but like you were number one. And I was like, because I think like you should always kind of, you know, shoot for the, the top. And I am just I when I got the notification of your tweet, I was in the backyard with my dog and I just kind of looked at him like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> OK, so make sure you're recording. Are you recording? Yes. Yes, sir. I am. I am recording. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't know if, you have, if you've seen how, how many of the uh, live from home shows that I've done, but there are a few where I forgot to press record. So I did them live, but they just exist in my memory. Other than that, I so I was um at the first couple, um yeah. I but I've definitely done that. I have also like were a couple times where like I've gotten like half hour in, I'll just kind of glance over like oh how much time oh didn't hit record. That's fantastic. Yeah. This was a great half hour. <laughs> we, we talked about the cure for cancer, but you know it's gone now. Um, so. I mean, just a billion questions, but I guess the first one is, so you are currently going to be opening up for The Who. Uh, yes. What is that like? How does that happen? Like, in like, how, I guess as someone, I'm, I'm assuming a fan of The Who at, at some point in your life, like, what does that feel like to say, like, I'm going on tour with The Who? I know. It's kind of the craziest thing. And it's a weird thing, you know, to come at this stage in my career, too. I've been doing this a long time, but I'm not, you know, I'm not at the at the height of popularity that I that I had reached years ago. So to be at this place where you kind of get picked uh to do something that i think is as cool as this like to, just to be able to go and see the who five for five shows and not have to pay for it is a plus for me um you know that was like the first band that wasn't the beatles that i was in love with like it was because i had a babysitter who would bring records over when i was a kid and she brought meaty beady big and bouncy over when i was about i don't know eight years old and uh absolutely fell in love with it and so, so to kind of be able to carry them with me through my whole career and then be able to perform on the same stage as them is pretty mind blowing. And it's the same, you know, for Craig, Craig Northey, my guitar player, he's, he might be even more excited than I am. I mean, I just, I can't imagine like when as excited as I was, when I got the tweet message from you, I'm sure when that first came down the pipeline, you're just like, that just, I mean, I got to see um, Roger Daltrey. He came to Cleveland and he did, um, with the Cleveland Orchestra, 
that he did Tommy. And awesome. that was amazing. And so, but just the, the full band, that must be, that is a really, that's just so cool. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So uh, I have here, this is the CD, the copy of Rock Spectral that my dad bought me uh, when, in 1998, when I first heard One Week, I fell in love with it. And he, we, he's a big music fan. Like the records on my wall here, a lot of these are my dad's. And he took that opportunity like, oh, they had music before this. Would you like to listen to it? I said, sure. Awesome. And um, so I, I love this. It has my favorite recording of my favorite song, uh, Break Your Heart. It is oh, yeah. my absolute favorite song of all time. I guess I, I, you always give 100% of yourself when you play that song. I've got to see you uh, play it with a band, but also the last couple of times with, with just you in the uh, in a smaller setting. I guess, like, one, like that song, like kind of, if you could tell me like the history of that song, I guess even like that performance and like, what does it mean to you? Like to give that 100% because I've also seen you turn the microphones off and just, right. it's such a powerful song. Well, it's pretty cool that it's like, that it's had the, the long life that it's had and it became a fan favorite. Like, you know, the reason it's on the live album uh, is because it was kind of a, a favorite, a fan favorite part of the show. Uh, but the fact that it's kind of stuck that way for people, I wrote it, I remember writing it when we were touring Gordon, and we tried recording it for the second album for Maybe You Should Drive, and just, it wasn't quite there yet. And some of that was I rewrote some of the lyrics. It was a little bit longer, had an extra verse, and it just wasn't as focused as it needed to be. We kind of, like, sometimes songs, when you're trying to say a bunch of things, they kind of say, you have to step back from them and go, okay, I didn't need to say all of that in order to express what I'm feeling. And that's the question I have to ask myself is, how am I feeling? Not what am I thinking? Because once you once you turn off the what am I thinking, then all of a sudden, or when you turn that off and just concentrate on how am I, what am I feeling, then a song can come into its own, and that's kind of what happened with that song. So by the third album, it was ready to go. But part of it was about like hearing people try to sing soul music, particularly white people singing soul music in a way that like seemed Im about impressing the audience or, but it seemed to be s equally soulless to my ear. You know, it felt like it would felt like, it felt like a formula. And I thought, I think what I need to do if I'm going to try to attempt that idiom was to really, really like not just belt it, but yell it. And, uh, you know, like have that sense of like, uh, absolute despair um, at a moment there that, that is, and I thought like the song almost doesn't work without that. So, you know, for 20 odd years since then, I've just always tried to give it the same kind of energy and, and, uh, respect that it got back then in the late nineties. Have you ever hurt yourself? Yes. Like, that last part, like, yeah. So like, I didn't used to, I used, it used to be very easy to do, to just do the song, but as you get older, um, I started to kind of lose my voice more often in later years. So I would be very judicious about when, like if we do three or three or four or five shows in a row, maybe save that for shows four and five, just in case. Uh, I've learned, I mean, in general, I think I, I technically I'm okay at like getting past it, that it's, 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 um, it's kind of an acting technique, but still, especially if you're not, if you're tired, and not hydrated enough, you can, yeah, you can kind of rip up your vocal cords a little bit. And that's, there's nothing, nothing fun or glamorous about that when you start getting old. I mean, I know I've hurt myself singing in my car and I am not trained 
on any spectrum. So I, I just can imagine like just, yeah, that's, well, that's uh, the thing. when, when you're, when you're trained, when you know how to do it, you shouldn't, you should be able to get around losing your voice because you're not using the same parts of your throat the same way. And, and, you know, the air comes from different parts, but you know, sometimes my posture isn't always great. Sometimes like a, when I lose my voice, it's from doing things like talking in a van that's moving with like a loud engine or talking over top of music. It's not so much from singing, but singing becomes the result. Like what, you know, you hear it when I'm singing and, and uh, I've been talking all day in the van on the way to the gig, you know, and it's hard for me to shut up. Well, I mean, like you got to pass the time some way. Uh, exactly. And speaking of passing time. So like we talked about, like, so the uh, live from homes, uh, like those became, uh, have become a stable. I, I know you, you started doing a couple in the very beginning, but now you've not missed many weeks and you've really, it's become a, a big part of the content you put out. I guess, like, like, was that kind of a scary thing to try at first? And now that you've become pretty well versed in it to the point now where it's, again, like it's a big part of the, of the content that is put out with you. Like I'm, you know, a lot of people on the discord and part of the Patreon. Like, I guess, what was that process like? Like, what was that? kind of light bulb like, oh, I could do this and people will love it. And they, they really do. Well, at first I really was, I was not into the idea. I mean, when, when the pandemic hit and everybody was at home and I was watching all the, you know, every musician in their kitchen or their living room or whatever, doing the uh, kind of live from home things, live from Springsteen's kitchen. Um, kind of, my first thought was, oh, great. You know, like, Okay, records don't you know, music isn't like to, to stream music is basically free we basically get paid nothing now like all the things that we used to do are free and now live music is too are people going to expect this forever mm. maybe overthinking it a bit but also just afraid to kind of try to compete with all the amazing other artists out, out there like am i going to be able to cut through and reach people and my friend dan mangan who's a singer songwriter out of vancouver he has a company called side door and they're whole their company was designed to um, match musicians with people who want to have house concerts so they want to host a concert at their house and so it would kind of like be a booking agency essentially but you know you could say i want some artist to come to my house let's see who's available or somebody wants to book a tour and they see whose house is available to have a concert in well of course that all went belly up during the early part of the pandemic i mean it's happening again now but they quickly turned and turned turned their their platform into a way to sell tickets to um online concerts so i watched one of dan's and it was on zoom and i could see all the people in their living rooms or wherever else watching the show it wasn't just about watching him it was about people watching each other and there's a chat going and i was like oh this i can andy charged like eight bucks for it or something or seven bucks and I was, i'll try this and i tried it and a thousand people came out the first time which is the max for a zoom meeting and uh have my mind blown and decide, well, I'll keep trying this. I'll do one next week. And it just kept going. And then I couldn't imagine not doing it. And the best thing was this kind of community sprang up around it, like people that I see every week and they see each other and they become friends. Like now I'm going out and doing in-person concerts and I watch these people meet each other in person for the first time. And it's pretty awesome. Like the, it's this live from home community, the live from homies. And, uh, you know, I, so it's hard, it's hard to turn your back on that. And I feel like I have a really, you know, a, a different relationship with the fan base now. That's, you know, in a certain way, more intimate or more personal. Um, but it also makes me more productive in a way like and, and less 
you know, I've played every song I've ever written pretty well, or every song I've ever recorded, at least stuff that I never thought I would ever play again or never thought about. And, uh, it's certainly changed my, my relationship with my catalog. Yeah. So now that, now the live shows, like in-person shows are happening again, I still try and do one live from home a month if I can. They're not every week, but you know, right now we're up to number 91. We just did. That's awesome. And like, I, I, I loved like, you know, you went through the discography uh, and that was just amazing because some of those songs I never thought I would hear in a live setting. And some of the, like the deeper cuts from earlier records, Listen, hearing the Vanity Project, which I love that record and like getting to hear those songs live was, was awesome. Oh, nice. Thank you. Um, I guess so like speaking of the Vanity Project, so you put, you put that out and I, I guess what was the, Kind of like the 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 origins of that. We just like you had these songs that you just didn't think fit with the band, or you just did you have this, this kind of passion like I just want to go this different path because it's, it's it's definitely like to me it's very I can make the connection to the old band, but also like listening to your, your newer stuff with you know heal thyself, um, and I, I it definitely fits in that vein as well. Well, cool. I you know I, I when I first started making it, the, those songs started as demos i was writing songs with Stephen duffy who's one of my best friends and you know and one of my heroes from teenage years onwards and we've been writing songs together so songs like jane and alternative girlfriend and and so on over the the um starting with maybe should drive forward um we've been writing songs and there was a point though we had so we'd written about started writing a bunch of these songs kind of in the post stunt time so you know after 98 and the band kind of we decided that we're going to be no more outside writers it was just going to be songs from within the band so i had all these songs that i've been writing with steven and i didn't want to stop writing with him um and i had initially started writing them hoping that the band would would record them and then they were no longer interested in doing those we did a couple from that era there was baby seat and uh powder blue which became a b-side which is one of my favorites um those were the only songs that BNL recorded of, of that kind of batch of stuff. And then Steven and I thought, well, maybe we'll try and get some other people to cover them. We tried, you know, through his publisher and stuff and no luck. Nobody wanted to do it. We thought some boy bands might want to do some of these songs or tried one with, I wanted Cher to do one, whatever, and nothing happened. Um, so we thought, well, we've got this stuff and it's good. Let's make this into an album. So we, we took it and kind of completed all the stuff, but did it all at my house and, uh, it sat there. We finished it in 2002, and it was a weird thing. Being in the band, like, there was a sense that somehow this record was going to compete with BNL stuff, and so I felt a little bit weird about putting it out, and I think they felt weird about me putting it out. So I waited till there was a lull, and in 2005, I finally put it out. But some of the stuff was as old as 99-ish. Wow. So it kind of some of it had been sitting there for quite some time. We're just getting around, Stephen and I are just getting around to to kicking around some ideas for a vanity project part two. Oh, that's it. That 20 years too, later. We'll see. That's awesome. That was actually, that was the question of like, are you going to, are still collaborating with, with Stephen Duffy? That's awesome. I would be, I'm also trying to imagine like, like a Baxter boys doing wilted rose. And I'm, Oh, I, I imagine Baxter boys doing, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, these wasted words. Ooh. I imagine them like on, on, uh, like on stools at that point in the show. If we never make love again, snapping their fingers, that kind of thing. It kind of, it, it actually really works. I like. Yeah, it I, totally work. Maybe they'll do it now. Yep, back to your boys. I'm sure you guys are listening. Go ahead and 
contact Stephen. That'd be great. Yep. Um, so I, it came through my feed again today, and, and I just had to add this. Canada loves you back. Mm-hmm. What was that like? That was such a, like, I loved watching Ryan Reynolds' like, reaction, but, like, I guess, like, you, like who like, how was the approach on that? And, like, what was it like doing that really cool thing? I think it's just, one, it's just a great song already, but also it just seems like a very fun project. It was fun, and you know, it was it was a total secret too, so I couldn't tell him about it, and and uh, so he was he was uh, Ryan Reynolds was being um, given the Governor General's Performing Arts Award, which is kind of I would say the Canadian equivalent of like the Kennedy Center Honors. Hmm. It's kind of the highest award for um, for performing arts in the country, and uh, uh, so he knew he was getting the award, but he didn't know what the presentation was going to be initially normally that show would be live in a big theater in ottawa and so on but because of pandemic they were doing it virtually so they asked me if i would they had asked me the year before if i would perform at this event and i was supposed to and then it got canceled so the next year they said would you consider writing a song for it um so i did which was terrifying because you know the way it needed to work it needed to be both kind of sentimental and a little bit poignant and tearjerkery and also funny, which is totally, that's the Ryan Reynolds wheelhouse. Like that's what he does for a living and mm-hmm. is so successful at. So it's like, how do you do that thing that he already does and make it entertaining for him? Um, luckily that worked, but I just, I kind of just went, I tried to not think about it very much and just try and get it done as quickly as I could. Because if I hadn't, I think I would have overthought it. That's ten, tends to be my, my thing so just do it as quickly as possible i i can understand the overthinking thing that's uh yeah, yeah but that, i just i remember like, like that was one of those things where like my my i think my wife saw it first and she's like you're never gonna believe it two of your favorite human beings have come together it's like yes that was <laughs> awesome um so you have a new album coming out next month which i'm super yes. super excited about excelsior um now in the, uh, the the patreon post you had mentioned that you this is your most solo album um, so I guess, not, not intentionally, but yeah, it is. Yeah. So I guess like, I, like, what does that mean to you? And like, kind of talk about this new album, which I'm so excited to listen to. Well, I hope you enjoy it when it, when it comes out. It's just, it's finally finished. You know, some of this, some of the stuff on this record was stuff that I had ready to, that was like in progress before the pandemic hit. And I thought, well, okay, now we've got all this time at home. I'm going to finish this album. And then I never did. I just got so knee deep in the live from home stuff and trying to make those shows unique and different every week and learning all that old material. And then a lot of staring into space and watching TV as I think a lot of us did too. Mm -hmm. Um, And then over the last six or eight months, I was like, okay, now I really have to finish this thing. Um, But I had lived with this stuff long enough that I, I kind of like just, I just kept working on it myself. Like it's the kind of thing where normally I would have a, a sketch of a song or a demo and then I would take it to a studio with other musicians like the odds or something like that and get them to kind of play on top of it, replace some of my parts and so on. And that didn't happen this time. So I ended up, and then I kind of enjoyed the fact that I was playing most of the stuff. I mean, Kevin Fox plays cello all over the record and Craig North, still plays guitar in a bunch of songs and things like that. My brother plays drums on a few songs. Um, awesome which is the first thing he's first time he's done that since the vanity project record. Um, but uh, I just kind of felt like, Oh, this is a project I need, I need to do. But it, I mean, it, when I talk about it that way, I think it sounds like it's going to be kind of a lo-fi, you know, like, like I think about the McCartney, the first McCartney solo record or McCartney two that he kind of like experimental 
half albums that I kind of love, but they're not, it's, they're not what this is. This I think feels more, I don't know, grand or more, you know, it's more epic. I mean, just cause I just, I had very large ideas, but I couldn't, that's the, the other thing is like stuff that I would have liked to have done, like used a full orchestra. You have to figure out other ways to do it. So I get, you know, Kevin Fox to play 14 tracks of cello on something and that kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, I guess speaking of uh, orchestra, so I had the pleasure of having Isaac on the show uh, last year. Oh, nice. Uh, and it was really awesome. And something that he mentioned that, that you know, the, he's gotten to play with you and his more classical music. And I guess, like, how exciting is that to, as, as a father? I, I'm, I'm not a father, but, like, getting to play music with your son. I, I, yeah, it's, it's the greatest. I mean, it really is the greatest. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, makes all the other stuff worth it because you know to not that i intended my children to be musicians but i have three very musical kids and when they the fact that they actually enjoy playing with me is the kind of the greatest part so you know i've done i've been started started to do um orchestral shows where we have like symphonic arrangements of my songs and older bnl songs and so on uh and play them with orchestras around North America and some of the arrangements I did myself some of them uh, Kevin did uh, but Isaac did two really stellar arrangements of uh, Jane and War on Drugs that are just incredible to, to perform but he's actually been able to conduct us a couple times too and that's as a dad that's very weepy oh, I'm sure and he had mentioned the War on Drugs and so to I don't know bring the level down but so um that record and that song very much. I was going through a very tough time in my life when that song came out, when that album came out. And I truly accredit me being here to that song and that album. So one, oh, wow. thank you. And I guess it's like, I've always wanted to ask about like that song because like that song, I love that song. I can only listen to it in a very specific mind frame. And, but it's just, it's the most powerful song I have ever heard in my, in my life. Wow. Well, thank you. Sometimes here's, I will give a quick little content warning to listeners, but, uh, uh, talk a little bit about suicidal ideation, but, um, it's a song about that and about suicide. Um, and I've, I spent most of my life, uh, living with suicidal ideation, you know, and, and it's one of those things that it doesn't, Depression and, and suicidal thoughts don't uh, discriminate about whether you're successful at your career or making money or not making money. So all those things can be contributors, um, just like the scrutiny you get when you're successful can be a, 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 you know, a, a contributor or a trigger. But in general, for me, a lot of it was just how my brain worked. And I didn't even understand until much later in my life that it wasn't normal. Like, I just thought everybody had those thoughts all the time and just spent their time fighting them. Well, where I used to live in, in Toronto was right by a big uh, a big viaduct. As I mentioned, there, the, the Prince Edward Viaduct. It's a big, a big bridge over a highway. And uh, the legend has it that it was the number two suicide spot in North America uh, behind the Golden Gate Bridge. And I always joke, isn't that how Canadian is that? Uh, just go for, go for silver. Um, but they, were, they built this, like, net underneath it, a wire net to stop, like, to catch people if they were going to jump. Um, and they were building this net, and they were going from one end of the, or from the middle of the, of the 
bridge out towards the street um, along this thing. So they kept like kind of getting closer and closer to being completed. And I honestly, I would see that as I'd walk by as like almost like a, a dare or a challenge. Like you only have so much time left before you can do it without any kind of net there to stop you. And that's, that's when I kind of went, that's probably not, that's probably some disordered thinking there, but that was kind of the trigger for writing the song was about, was, was about my own thoughts. And so the fact that, that it's had any, uh, impact on anyone outside of my own life always blows me away. And um, I'm, I don't think it's any better or worse than any other song, but I, if it was there for you or for anybody else at the right time, I'm, uh, I'm honored to have been that one. You know, there's been lots of music that has saved my life over time. And sometimes it, it's specific about, you know, about what you're feeling. And sometimes it's just something musical that just lifts you, that takes you out or makes you feel less alone or whatever it may be. Um, I'm certainly, you know, really touched to be to be that for anybody. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I just one of the things that has drawn me to your music over the years is how personal you get. Things like War on Drugs, songs like Surprise, Surprise, which are I could roll on and on, and how that was just like, oh, this is personal. This is like a like he's just talking about me. And I, I, I think that's a reason that like a, a lot of people that I know that are fans of you like. Like I, 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 one of the concerts you, you made the joke like, "Hi, I'm Stephen Page. I write all your favorite sad bare naked lady songs," <laughs> and it's but it's like they're so beautiful in the most you know they're sad but in the most beautiful way. And then I mean you have a song like "Tonight Is the Night," and it's like I wrote a paper on that in, in college about how you know music can you can hear one thing but it's really another thing, and it's like it sounds dreamy but it's about the whole most horrific car crash you could imagine, and it's just that is a gift that I, I will always look forward to your music for that because it, and it's one of the reasons also my dad loved you. And I guess my last thing is that my dad and you, I think have a share of love of Linda Ronstadt. Oh yeah. I have a million Linda Ronstadt uh, records to my left here. And I know that there was a, a competition years back about writing a song about Linda Ronstadt. And I loved your version. And I'm so like, I guess like, can I talk about that, but also like to then go ahead and finish it and then put it on a record, which again, I love both renditions that you at the kitchen table and the, the album you know, version. Thanks. And there's that, there's also, I did uh, the, uh, the orchestral version of that was one of the, one of the arrangements that I did awesome. myself. It's one of my favorite things is, is to, that, that arrangement is one of the most favorite things I can perform. It just, it's so fun to be able to stand in front of an orchestra and that thing that was in your head is now coming out of all these musicians behind you. It's yeah, it's awesome. That, you know, that song was, yeah, it was Colin Malloy from the December. It said just, and I think it was just on like on Twitter. He had said, Hey, write a song about, about uh, Linda Ronstadt and post it to YouTube or something like that. So I just did it. And he was kind of like, you, I didn't mean you, I didn't meant like, you know, <laughs> not professional musicians, but I did it anyways. And I just, you know, I wrote the song kind of like, in a way, thinking about how how she was a very mainstream artist who decided to just make whatever music she wanted to do, whether it was being in Pirates of Penzance on Broadway or uh, or doing mariachi music or big band music when it wasn't cool to do that, um, standards and stuff long before, you know, the days of Michael Bublé or Rod Stewart doing standards or whatever, or Lady Gaga. Um, and she always just kind of stuck to her guns and made the music she wanted to make and took lots of flack for it. Uh, but she's one of the most talented people out there. And uh, that, that was inspiring to me when I was forging my own path at that point. Yeah. 
I just, I love that song, and it just, I, I could go on and on about every sung song that I, I of yours that I love. I just, again, thank you for for sharing your art. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I guess just tell us about, so when should we expect to be able to hear Excelsior? And also I know you're going um, overseas to the UK, play some shows, but I guess very selfishly, when are we, uh, when and where in the uh, Midwest, say, I don't know, the Cleveland area, might people be able to see you play in the near future? Good questions. Well, Excelsior comes out on September 30th, but there will be some singles, you know, individual songs trickling out before then, hopefully in the next week to two weeks and uh yeah i head over to the uk we do a full tour there if anybody's listening that wants to come see where we are go to stephenpage.com all all the shows are listed uh as far as midwest goes the closest we're going to get to you is columbus with the who right now or 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 detroit with the who um but uh the rest of the midwestern dates that haven't been announced yet will be kind of farther west okay but um my hope is we'll get back to doing some kind of Great Lakes type stuff um, in either the fall or in the winter. I know we're doing West Coast stuff in January, so maybe after that. Awesome. Come and hit the the Rust Belt on my way home. That would be great. Well, again, thank you so much for for being on the the podcast. Thank you for being just an amazing musician. Thank you for the amazing memories I have with listening to music with my dad. And uh, just thank you. (laughs) Well, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Thank you, everyone. um, This has been episode 101. Next week, we have Reed from We Are the Union. Um, So 100 episodes down. Let's hope for another couple hundred. hundred, And uh, take care, everyone. All right.